There was a preacher from the wilderness who, who came preaching from, in Judea. Uh, he had an interesting taste for both clothing and food as he wore uh, camel's hair with a, a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and honey. And this preacher, uh, who we know as John the Baptist, he preached a message saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he was right. The kingdom of heaven was at hand as Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, had, had come. John was someone who the prophet Isaiah had prophesied about, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist, he knew his place as he was preaching a message of repentance. He did so in humility as he was preparing the way for Christ. He says in in Matthew 3.11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And later, in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 3, verse 30, in talking about Jesus, he says, He must increase, but I must decrease. What John said was true. He is not worthy to untie or carry the sandals of God, of of Jesus Christ. To untie or carry the sandals of God would be too too high of an honor for for any of us. We're not worthy of that privilege. And he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. And if we're honest with ourselves, we, we all have a, a tendency to diminish Jesus and lift ourselves up. Um, we can be foolish in that. Um, this is what we do in our, our selfishness and rebellion against the Lord. We're, we're not worthy to even kneel down and untie and carry the sandals of, of Jesus. So what does this have to do with our passage this morning. In our passage this morning, Paul exhorts the Philippian church to let their manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is it's quite the exhortation. Uh, to live worthy of the gospel? We're not, we're not worthy of the gospel. How, how is this even possible? Paul presents us with several ways in light of the gospel, uh, to live life in manner, manner worthy of the gospel. So if you haven't already, uh, please turn to Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 27 to the end of the chapter. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that, for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Uh, Lord, as we take a look at your word this morning. I ask that you would uh, 
Reveal sin in our hearts that by your grace we would repent and, and turn away uh, from sin and, and believe in Christ and, and, our, and by your power and by your grace live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Amen. Um, so, first of all, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel by considering the kingdom you belong to. By considering the kingdom you belong to. Uh, this is what comes first and foremost. Uh, considering the kingdom you belong to. Uh, the picture that's presented in verse 27, sometimes lost in translation, is a picture of citizenship. Um, another potential way to state this would be to say, only behave as citizens worthy. Uh, Paul is calling the Philippian church to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And there are certain qualities that come with being a citizen of the kingdom of God. Uh, When he says, let your manner of life, uh, this manner is a living as a citizen of heaven. Uh, And this is a theme in Philippians. Uh, We see this explicitly stated in in chapter 3, verse 20, where Paul states, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the interesting things about Philippi was that it was a a Roman colony. Uh, So the people that lived there were able to have Roman citizenship, and there are some great benefits and privileges that came with being a Roman citizen. Uh, Paul himself was a Roman citizen, Um, and sometimes even used that citizenship to benefit uh, himself. The the end of Acts 22 shares a circumstance where Paul's citizenship, his Roman citizenship, is helpful for him. Uh, Paul, he found himself in a place where people were angry with him about what he was saying, uh, specifically about God sending him to go preach to the Gentiles. Um, And so here's what follows Here's what follows that. Acts 22, starting at verse 22, says this. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought the citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune was also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Uh, Having Roman citizenship gave you some more rights under their law. Uh, They couldn't just beat you. That's a privilege. <laughs> um, having Roman citizenship, it was, it was beneficial. And, and sometimes uh, people would be proud 
of their citizenship and even looked down upon others who, who weren't Roman citizens. Um, the people in Philippi, they were able to have Roman citizenship. But Paul, in referencing uh, citizenship, is calling them to live out their greater citizenship, their citizenship in the kingdom of God. Uh, for the Christian, our citizenship in heaven trumps all our other associations. We belong to the kingdom of God first and foremost. Uh, this citizenship in heaven that, Christ, that, that Christians have uh, was bought and paid for by Christ his blood on the cross, the, the death and resurrection of, of Christ purchases that citizenship for those who repent and believe. And the order of this is really important. Citizenship in heaven is not something that we earn. We cannot become a citizen of heaven by acting in a certain way. We are not told to become a citizen of heaven by living a certain way, that would be a, that'd be a works-based salvation. Uh, we are first given our citizenship by God, by his grace, by his forgiveness, and then we are instructed to live out that citizenship after we already have it. Uh, this is a call to live out of the new creation, um, who God has made us to be. Remember back in, in verse 1 of, uh, of Philippians, where Paul says he is writing to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. If you have repented of your sin and believed in Jesus, then you are a saint. Uh, so now we are to live like we are, uh, like who Christ has made us to be. Uh, our identity is in, in Christ. This is a this is a radical teaching for today, uh, specifically in, in our culture today. Uh, our culture has a lot to say about identity, and there's a lot of confusion uh, about identity. Uh, the world teaches mankind to uh, find something about themselves, whether it be their skin color, their gender, which there's only two genders, uh, their nationality or whatever else, that finds, finds something. And the world says those things define who you are, how you live, how you view the world, and that those things should take the primary focus of your identity. But then, the gospel says that our citizenship is in heaven and that we are first and foremost saved by the work of Christ. There's no other identity that takes priority over the identity that we have in Christ. Um, and part of, part of the amazing thing about this is that it, it unifies. Um, our worldly distinctions between people can be a, a catalyst for division and, and hatred uh, between people. But the gospel is able to, to wipe these away as we find unity in the fact that we are we're sinners in need of Christ. Uh, that we need to repent and be saved. And so then, we, we come together as, as brothers and sisters in Christ who worship God together in, in love and in unity rather than attacking each other because uh, uh, we, we no longer look at that word appearance. Um, instead, we, we give thanks to God who, who changes our hearts. Um, but the world will, will see this as, 
as a threat because their lives are, are wrapped up in their earthly identity. And we, this can be a temptation for, for us as well to get wrapped up in, in earthly identities. Uh, and we need to be careful that we do not get too caught up in earthly kingdoms, but instead have our eyes set and fixed upon the kingdom of God. Um, we, need to, we need to repent when we place uh, more of a priority on some earthly identity uh, rather than our identity in Christ. So as we continue through this passage, uh, we need to remember those who are saved are citizens of, of heaven. And this identity takes priority over anything else. Christians belong to the kingdom of God first and foremost, and we're called now to live like it. Secondly, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel by standing firm in the faith. By standing firm in the faith. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. And Paul loves the Philippian church and uh, whether or not he's able to, to see them, he, he desires to hear good news about them. Uh, and that good news he desires to hear about them has to do with how they're living their life living their lives in a certain way. Um, so now, something that we need to briefly address here uh, is a difference between holiness and, and legalism. Uh, and this discussion will show up more throughout, uh, throughout Philippians, but we're get, beginning to see some of this now. Paul wants to hear a good report about how the Philippians are living their lives. And he's telling them to live in a way that is worthy of the gospel. So the pursuit of holiness is not legalism. But it can become legalistic when we add on to the commands of God and then expect others to live up to our man-made laws. Christians are called to live a holy life. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 through 8. It says, Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should transgress and wrong his brother in this manner because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit. So we, we see that Christians are called to, to holy living, and that this holy living has to do with our, our whole manner of life and, and our bodies. And the will of God is our sanctification. Growth, growth in sanctification is growth in, in holy living as we are imitating Christ more and more. 
We hear a similar thing in, in 1 Peter, uh, chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. It says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This call for, for holiness is clear. Uh, we are called to live a, a holy life in, in all of our conduct. Uh, the call to live a holy life is a call upon every area of our life. So I, I want to encourage you to, to live a holy life. Uh, but while encouraging you to live a holy life, I do not want to add any man-made laws or encourage you to add man-made laws to God's word. When we do that, we become like the Pharisees, adding laws to the word of God, and in so doing, uh, we, uh, we're not obedient to the commands that, that God has given. Uh, and we'll talk, we'll talk more about this in the future, uh, but as for now, let's focus on what Paul has specifically laid out in, in this passage. Part of living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ is to stand firm in one spirit and one mind. So Paul is emphasizing the, the unity of the church here. Remember, this unity that comes in the kingdom of God uh, because of our citizenship in heaven takes priority over over everything else. Uh, unity in life and mission and belief. And it's a beautiful thing when a church is, is unified and standing firm in all these things. Uh, and the reason that there is an admonition to stand firm is because there will be attacks against the church that are designed to knock you down. Uh, there is a need to stand firm. Paul speaks of standing firm in, in other places as well. Uh, one of my favorite passages about standing firm comes at the end of Ephesians, um, in chapter 6, starting at verse 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So just, as, just as an aside here, being strong in the Lord is trusting in the strength of the might of God. It's not trusting in, in your own strength. Um, so it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. This is a helpful passage as we think about standing firm. Uh, to take a stand is to stand for something and against something. Um, standing firm in the Lord is to stand against the schemes of the devil. Uh, the truth is, is this, that, that all of us, We'll stand on, on some foundation, and we will stand in some way as well. 
The question to ask is, so what is the, st the foundation that you're standing on? What are you resting your, your life upon? There are some foundations that are tempting to, to stand on, uh, that are tempting to rest our life upon. An example of a tempting foundation could simply be happiness, the foundation of happiness. So then everything that is done in life is with the purpose of trying to be happy. And when something comes that is a, a threat to that happiness, then there's a, a firm stand against whatever that thing is and even a, a fight against it in order that happiness would prevail. Um, but it's clear, uh, isn't it, that whatever earthly foundation that we are tempted to rest our life on, uh, there are truly flimsy foundations. Happiness is uh, fleeting. It, it comes and goes. Um, another question to ask is, in what way are you standing? So Paul exhorts us to stand firm. Um, but it is possible to stand in, in a fragile way. Um, this is to be pushed and persuaded by every wind and wave that, that comes your way. And, and the world will try to push you and convince you of certain foundations to stand on. And they will want you to stand firmly on their foundation uh, that they offer you, and the world will even ask you and expect of you to, to fight for the foundation that they've asked you to stand upon. Um, the, the exhortation from Paul in Philippians is to stand firm in unity with the church for the faith of the gospel. The foundation we are called to stand firm upon in one spirit and in one mind is the truth of the gospel. And so this brings us to our the third point. So third, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel by striving side by side with the church for the faith of the gospel. So by striving side by side with the church for the faith of the gospel. So the, the foundation on which we are to stand is the gospel. Uh, standing firm upon the truth that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And Jesus provides salvation for lost sinners as he died on the cross and rose again from, from the grave. Uh, this is the foundation upon which we are to stand. Uh, and we are to stand firmly in the truth. And as we are standing firm in the, in the spirit, in one mind, we'll strive along with each other for the faith of the gospel. So what does this mean to, to strive what does it mean to strive for something? The word here means to, to work along with someone and to be working against an adversary. Striving after something is to struggle and fight for a purpose. As Christians, we are, able to, we are to be of one spirit and one mind so that we're, so we strive for the gospel. And, and this striving is to fight against falsehood, False teaching, uh, the, the different gospels that the world proclaims and says, that the world says offer hope and salvation. So we, we oppose those ideologies, those philosophies, and contend for the truth. We contend for the faith of the gospel. And the unity in this is so important um, because we're, 
We are people who will contend for something. We will strive after something. Notice, Paul says he wants to hear about them striving side by side. This means that they're working together. They're not opposed to each other. They're not striving against each other. They're of one spirit and one mind. When we don't stand firm in the faith, we're tempted to strive after things of the world instead of striving after the gospel, uh, to be carried away by whatever the new fad or trend of the day is, to be carried away by our, our own desires, and to fight for whatever that is. Uh, we see this everywhere in the world, don't we? Uh, the striving after earthly agendas. Um, and rather than striving side by side as earthly agendas uh, selfish ambition find their ways into the church and, and even into our hearts, we end up striving against each other rather than striving side by side with each other. Um, have, have you ever experienced that? Uh, this can happen in the church, can happen in our families. Uh, we can strive against each other because the, the unity and striving side by side for the gospel has been lost. Um, Jesus tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Life is, life is short. Uh, eternity is, is long. Uh, when our selfish ambitions in life take precedent over the faith, it wreaks havoc on, on relationships. Uh, Paul have more to say about this in the next few verses in chapter 2 as he admonishes people to do nothing in rivalry or conceit, to do nothing out of uh, selfish ambition. Um, we, can get, we can get so caught up in striving after earthly pleasures and experiences, and I'm not saying that earthly pleasures and experiences are, are bad. Uh, God created pleasure, uh, but when they take priority in uh, priority of our life, ultimately, what do we have to, to show for it? Um, those things are temporary. So, uh, enjoy life as, as you can, but strive for the faith. Um, and the amazing thing, when we strive side by side with one another for the faith, it's actually enjoyable. Um, it's enjoyable to, to strive after the faith with, with fellow brothers and, and sisters in Christ, this, this enjoyment isn't the reason why we strive for the gospel, but it's a wonderful fruit that, that comes from it. Um, and the, the ironic thing is that when we, when we strive after the wrong things, the, the earthly pleasures, uh, we often are seeking some form of enjoyment, but we don't end up getting what we want anyway because we're striving against each other. Um, it's fleeting. It, it doesn't last. Living in a manner worthy of the gospel is a call to strive for the faith of the gospel along with the church. Fourth, uh, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel by not being frightened by opponents. By not being frightened by opponents. So he says this, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel 
and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Paul has just had us think about our our church family, uh, who should not be our opponents, (laughs) and now directs our thoughts to those who are against the church. Fear is, fear is powerful. Uh, fear can motivate. As we strive for the faith, we will have opposition from opponents. Uh, and it is possible that we will be threatened. Paul was. Paul is writing this from prison. Um, Paul is speaking as someone who has been beaten and mistreated by his opponents. Um, but Paul gives a warning for the, the opponents of the truth. And there's also encouragement to be had in not fearing our opponents and their threats. And so what, what is the warning? Paul says this is a clear sign to them of their destruction. Those who are opponents of the gospel, who strive against the truth of the gospel, their, their end is eternal destruction. Um, they have placed their hope on, on something other than the Lord. They're not striving for the faith, but rather they're striving against it. Um, if, you are, if you're here this morning and you have not repented of your sin and believed in Jesus, then you're striving against the Lord. Um, please hear this, this loving warning that uh, destruction is your end. If you have not repented and believed, this is a loving warning to you. Um, but the, the good news is that today is the day of salvation. If you repent and believe in Jesus, instead of having this end of destruction, you can have the encouragement instead. Um, and what is the encouragement? Paul says, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. The reason why we're able to live without fear of our opponents is because we know how things turn out. We know how things work out in the end. That there is victory in Christ. There is eternal life with Christ to look forward to. Our, our minds are set on, on heavenly things, on, on eternal things. And yes, our opponents, uh, the, the opponents of Christ, may be able to threaten us with some earthly measures against us, but we know that life is short and eternity is long. And our hope is not in our experience of, of this life, Uh, Our hope is in the Lord. And there is a life to come that is far grander than what we can imagine. Um, So this is a sign of of salvation. Uh, Having your heart set on Christ instead of having your heart set on the world. Uh, You do not need to fear what man can do because man has no eternal authority over you, um, over your soul. But God does. God has authority over your soul, and if you are his, then you do not need to live in fear. You do not need to fear man. You have the Lord. And this is an encouragement and is helpful because we know that 
suffering and persecution are coming, which brings us to the last point. So fifth, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel by suffering, by suffering. I don't really like this last point. Um, Paul says, for it, is, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So, everyone, everyone suffers. Um, this is the unfortunate truth of living in a world that is, uh, has the consequences of sin. Um, however, the, the Christian suffers in a, in a unique way. Um, uh, did you notice what kind of suffering Paul is talking about? Paul says, again, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Um, Christians will suffer for the sake of Christ. Uh, we don't need to fear because we have the Lord. Uh, but there still uh, will be suffering that we experience. Uh, there will be persecution that we experience. Uh, our, our Savior, our God, Jesus, uh, he was nailed to a cross by, by men who hated him. Um, and if the world hated Jesus, uh, they'll hate those who follow Jesus as well. Um, and, and this is the conflict that, that Paul is in, and that the church is in. As, as we preach and proclaim the good news of Jesus, there, there is conflict because the world loves darkness rather than light. Um, but there is hope uh, because we, we had been like the world. We, we were people who loved darkness rather than light. Uh, but God, is, he's so good, uh, so powerful, uh, so mighty to, to say that he's able to take people like you and me who hated the light and loved the darkness, who are not worthy of the gospel, and he provides salvation, the forgiveness of, of sins. He provides us with the righteousness of Christ given to us. We're, we're not worthy of this. Um, it, it reminds me of of the parable of the, the prodigal son in, in Luke 15. The son, he uh, disrespects his father, he leaves his family, squanders the inheritance that he's been given, and uh, eventually he comes to his senses and decides to return. And in Luke 15, starting in verse 17, it says this, But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with, here, here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and, and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. 
and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. We are not worthy of the gospel. We are not worthy to be called the sons of God. But God, in his, his mighty grace and mercy and, and forgiveness, uh, uh, he, he's given us his righteousness. He's given us salvation. Um, even though we are not worthy, there was one who, who is worthy, and that is Jesus. Uh, and, and even though we don't always live a life worthy of the gospel, Jesus did, and we can have that righteousness of Christ added to us. So now, if you repent and believe, you are called to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, out of your love for God and what he has done for you. So live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel by considering the kingdom that you belong to, by standing firm in the faith, by striving side by side with the church for the faith of the gospel, by not being frightened by opponents and by suffering for the sake of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize that we are not, we're not worthy, not worthy to even untie and carry the sandals of Christ. Uh, what we are worthy of is is your judgment and your wrath. That's what we deserve. We, de- we deserve that eternal destruction. Lord, we thank you that, that Christ is worthy, that Jesus is worthy, that he lived a life that was worthy of, of the gospel, that he died in, in our place, rose again from the grave, so that now those who repent and believe may have the righteousness of Christ added added to them. Lord, I ask that you would help us in light of this truth that we would live lives obediently, that we would live lives of of holiness uh, by your power and your grace that we would say no to sin and and yes uh, to holiness. Amen.